Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Rat. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say my name is also Rat? Yes, I was uh, named for the rock band Rat. Oh, so your parents were big fans. Big fans. That's why it's R A T T. Sorry, I probably should have told you this a lot sooner. <laughs> I misheard you once, and you didn't want to correct me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm polite like that for years. <laughs> yeah. Is your full name Rathew? <laughs> it's actually Radisson. Oh gosh, why did the band Rat have two T's? Because that's way cooler than just one T, right? I mean, it's not cool at all. But <laughs> speaking of Rat, is that what we're talking about today? Yeah, totally. We're, we're talking round about... and round. Yeah, uh, out of the cellar. You know a lot about Rat. I, I went through a rat phase. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I can't say I went through a rat phase, but I do remember kind of getting into rat. Mm-hmm. About the same time I got really into like Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Not the band, the movie. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> and there were little mice. Oh, man. Yeah, those mice so are so thought, cute. Oh, I love God. rodents. Oh, especially ones that dress up and can help dress young women. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't weird. No, not weird at all. <laughs> What are we talking about today, Rat? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for getting it right. Today, we're going to be talking about R.E.M.'s 1988 album, Green. Longtime listeners may recall that we started off this podcast by talking about REM. Our very first epipod was on automatic for the people. In fact, if you've ever wondered what our name means, Finest Work Song is actually a nod to REM and their song Finest Work Song. Both being big REM fans, it just seemed to be a natural fit. And here we are a year later, and we're talking about Green. So this makes REM the first artist, first band to have the honor of us talking about them twice. So yep. good job, Ari. Yeah, good job, yeah, guys. Nice. Way good to go. Job. You finally made it. Yep. <laughs> As always, we like to start with our memory. So Matt, what is your memory of REM's Green? So when Green came out, I was a pretty big REM fan, sort of backed into REM you know, through Document. My friend Chase Farrell, had, he gave me a double-sided cassette. I guess they were all double-sided, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but on one side was U2, The Joshua Tree, and the other side was REM document, which, was, which was awesome. So I'd gotten into REM that way and mm-hmm. then kind of went back and got into Life Search pageant. I would say Green was the album where I went from loving REM to REM becoming my favorite band. Yeah. There are a lot of elements that go into it. I mean, it, it's the timing of it, you know, 13 years old. Yeah. I saw them on this tour. It was, I think, my second concert ever. Oh, my god. Yeah, my parents drove me and my friend Brian Rayner to Greensboro Coliseum, dropped us off, mm-hmm. lower level side stage seats. I remember being very minimalist. You know, they had just a screen behind them before they came on. It was instructions to the crowd and one mm-hmm. thing we're glad to be here in underline your city here mm-hmm. you know and the interplay between michael stipe and the audience and it was just great and then a year later whatever tour film comes out it's mostly that concert yeah you and i talked about a little bit on the driving and crying epipod i just dove into that movie and how so, often did you pause it to try and see if you were on screen oh none because <laughs> We, you knew you weren't? We, I knew I wasn't. Oh, okay. There might have been one scene where it was sort of looking in that direction. And, uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. see it. In a lot of ways, I think of it as this like really heavy R.E.M. rock album. But then there's like so many quiet, beautiful, mm-hmm. simple 
parts to it too. So there are times where it's easily my favorite REM album. Mm -hmm. Then something else kind of rises up, but it's an album I never get tired of. What about you? What's your memory of REM's Green? So a few years back, I was right-hand man to a pretty decent boss. Had a good team. Everyone worked together, knew their place. Then one day we find out that we're not only relocating, but they brought a new guy in. Before I knew it, I was replaced and there was a new right-hand man. Honestly, I felt betrayed after all I'd given over the years. When the next trip came up and the agenda had this new joker on the docket while I was left behind, I lost my mind a little bit. Well, a lot of bit. Right before the trip, I tried to delay this new hotshot so that he would be late and I would step back into my rightful place as right-hand man. And I admit I got a little too aggressive and I ended up pushing him out of a window. Oh, I'm not proud of it, but this podcast is all about honesty. So <laughs> when everyone else on the team found out what happened, they immediately distanced themselves from me. And rightly so. I mean, sure. I was reckless. Then all of a sudden, before anyone could do anything, the boss stormed in. And, and when he found the new guy absent, he called me up to bat. And so I'd gotten what I wanted, but it really didn't feel good. Mm. On this trip, we made a quick stop on the way. And I found the new guy had not only survived the fall, but he had snuck into the car and he jumped me. And we were in this knockdown drag out fight in the parking lot when we both realized that the car had left. We'd been left behind. Neither of us wanted to risk our careers. So we snuck onto a pizza delivery truck and we made it to the appointment. This is when things really went south. This new guy ends up getting kidnapped by the sociopath who's really into torture and performing sick experiments. None of this would have happened if I hadn't been so selfish and insecure. So I sneak into this psycho's house getting there right before the torture began. And we narrowly escape the sociopath. We make our way back to the boss just before they execute this relocation. And if we hadn't shown up right then, we would have been left behind. In the end, I learned my lesson. I apologize, telling the new guy that I was wrong and there's room for both of us on this team. I offered to put on a hair shirt as penitence, <laughs> but the new guy said, it's not necessary, I forgive you. Speaking of a hair shirt, have you heard of that deep cut off R.E.M.'s <laughs> album, Green? I don't know what, what movie that is. No? No. Toy Story. That's Toy Story? I got nothing. <laughs> Stump me. I did change things. I got deep. A little I bit. I got dark. Yeah, yeah. Man, I guess there is some darkness to the old Toy Story franchise. Yeah. I even left out some details. Like the sex scene? Yeah. God, <laughs> oh, man. man. That's so awkward. Having to fast forward a Pixar movie with your kids. <laughs> I thought you might figure it out when I talked about the pizza delivery truck. In my mind, I'm like, is this Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> That's a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, geez, man, I got dark. Yep. Thought I'd have a little fun this time. My real memory of REM, it was March of 1989. I didn't have any REM albums and didn't really know much about them aside from the fringe that I would have heard on the radio. I was cat sitting for the people next door. They had a six disc changer. Nice. And we didn't have any CD players. Mm -hmm. My brother was in between moves. He left a paper shopping bag of CDs mm -hmm. stacked. And so I just took this bag over there, mm -hmm. fed these weird Siamese cats. Their names were Chang and Ng. Nice. Siamese, if <laughs> yeah. you please. Yeah, real Siamese. And uh, <laughs> I sat down, put on some headphones, and I grabbed the first CD off the top. And it was Murmur. Yourself, radio's gonna stay. 
and it just blew my mind. I sat there and listened straight to the whole thing, and then I put in Reckoning. And I put in fables. Introduction to REM was their first three albums. Start to finish? Yeah, start to finish. And I came back hours later, and my mom said, what were you doing? I was like, nothing. Just listening to some CDs. Meanwhile, I just wanted to say, uh, my whole life has changed. Yeah, right. Because I just heard... REM for the first time, truly. I think it was around then that we got MTV. And so it all happened at once where I was introduced by the first three albums, but then Green was out. Mm -hmm. And so just dove right in, which started a years long obsession with the band Mm -hmm. like yourself. Unfortunately, I wasn't going to concerts yet Mm -hmm. and didn't go to that concert. And then I had to, in this time of obsession, wait until I was in college to see them. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a bummer, but that was my all-in introduction and and it changed everything. That's got to be a pretty rare way to be introduced to a band Mm -hmm. by like literally going through their first three albums like that. When you got through to Fables, did you skip the green because it was out? Do you remember? Or did you go to like Life's First Pageant and then document? I probably picked up green next because it was out. Yeah. It's a good thing that the top CD in that pile wasn't something like Jesus Jones. <laughs> Jesus Jones. <laughs> that would have been too early for Jesus Jones. Yeah. All right, let's jump in. The first track is Pop Song 89. signed the biggest recording deal in history i think at that point they're coming off a unique and groundbreaking indie career Mm -hmm. through irs irs and what was not indie rock in some ways if they didn't invent it they perfected uh, it perfected college rock Mm -hmm. it will never be this way again because now you can get it online yourself right but at the time if you were on the radio it was you were with a major label Mm -hmm. and you had to go through the system college rock was the kind of way to to sneak into people's homes that's not creepy. <laughs> but they got to the point where the major labels came knocking. Yeah. Because the van was rocking. <laughs> and they didn't see the sign. <laughs> I mean, you got to have it. I'm sure they had the sign. Everyone had the sign. Yeah. But yeah, so you've got the album 
called green, which has all these different meanings to it. It's, you know, the green of they're getting paid. It's the green of the jealousy that comes along with being these indie darlings who are now getting paid. Mm -hmm. And then there's a sort of environmental thing about green and, and they're very into that. And then the song is called Pop Song 89. Yeah. And then it's like, should we talk about the weather? Should we talk about the government? This is what this album is going to be about. Yeah. Essentially. Immediately, just with the production value, you hear this and you're like, this is not the IRS REM. You're right. The production on this album, their second Scott Lit mm-hmm. produced album, is much more polished mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. some of the early albums. When you're a band like REM and you are coming up out of nowhere, getting more popular regionally and then nationally, and they finally make their way truly onto MTV with mm-hmm. The One I Love, mm-hmm. which was their first top, kind of 10. top 10 major mm-hmm. hit. According to them, they moved on from IRS because IRS didn't really push them internationally yep. and they were wanting to see what could go in that direction. And I'm sure it was tough to make the move to Warner Brothers. Well, they've got full creative control, yeah. essentially. Which seemed to be the big thing for them. It, yep. it wasn't about the money. Mm-hmm. They just wanted the creative control. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, I'm sure, people who hated this album, yeah. who grew up with them and, and just thought that this was a sellout. Yep. As we'll examine in this album, it really is. And it's R.E.M. Yeah. And it's the bridge between what they were doing earlier mm-hmm. with the indecipherable lyrics to reinvent themselves but stay who they are and yeah. they're, they're kind of walking on a tightrope yeah and you hear you hear bits of what would end up being you're know, losing my religion and automatic for the people mm-hmm. songs i mean you can you can hear all those elements there but you you also hear bits of life search pageant and document and you remember the videos for this one because there were two that's right <laughs> To hear Michael Stipe talk about it, you know, the way they approach videos was really just to kind of mess with MTV. They weren't going to do the standard thing yeah. ever. Yeah. And especially with videos, they're not going to be like Duran Duran right. on a boat with all these lovely ladies. So it's like they take that and flip it on its head. And yeah. He's like, oh, okay, you want topless people? We're all going to be topless. Yeah, we're going to be topless. And yeah, I'm going to get three of my friends. Mm-hmm. They're not supermodels. They're just friends of mine, and yeah, yeah this will be fun. We'll have a party. We'll just go topless, and I think he had the longest hair of the people in the I think you're right. video. Yeah, the censored version. You had the, the ubiquitous black marks over their chest. Also on Michael Stipe's on Michael chest because he insisted on it. Yeah, according is- to him, a nipple is a nipple. <laughs> <laughs> but even that video, they're doing this weird dance, like shimmy, yeah, like shimmy, the shimmy thing. thing the whole time. And we've talked about this before. MTV played such a huge part mm-hmm. in music culture. Back then, if you were going to deny MTV, that was an act and a statement in and of itself. Yep. But most people, you had to embrace it. You had to play along. You had to have videos. And, you know, true to REM, they, they've got this weird video. They're on Warner Brothers, but they said, you said we had creative control. Yep. You think about these videos and you feel like REM kind of handled MTV. Yeah. Not the other way around. That's right. After Pop Song 89, we move into track two, which is Get Up.
Stipe was big into think global, mm-hmm. act yeah. local, being a part of change and mm-hmm. being active. And I think the song leans to that a little bit, kind of like, don't waste your life. Yeah. The concert t-shirt I got from this tour, mm-hmm. kind of an ugly gray shirt. I uh, had very almost indecipherable photos of each individual band member on the front with a orangey picture of the globe. And then on the back was just one little small sentence that said, understand that change begins with the individual. Yeah. That's sort of like the ethos of this whole you know, time. and Especially and this album. Even within that mindset, there's also this wistfulness, hopefulness. Even the bridge or, or the, the part where, it, I don't know what you call it exactly, where it's just like... The tingling. The tingling. I think that came to Michael Stipe in a dream. And he was like, this works. But it evokes like the weariness of like waking up from a dream and mm-hmm. you know, being kind of groggy. And it's such a, for R.E.M., it's a heavy rock song. Yeah. About hopefulness and dreams and getting motivated. You've got Mike Mills singing in the background, dreams that complicate my life. And then Bill Berry answers with dreams that complement right. my life. There's so much clever interplay of lyrics on this album like that. When Mike Mills is the primary background singer, you know, one mm-hmm. of the best yep. backing vocalists ever, Bill Berry gets lost in the shadows, yeah. but he's back there killing it on the drums mm-hmm. and also sings incredibly. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit as a, as a back, no, backing vocalist. he does not. This is a hopeful song too, mm-hmm. whereas their activism on Document and Life's Rich Pageant was not as hopeful. It was more cynical. It was cynical. It was pointing out injustice and pointing out the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. This one is one where they kind of turn it a little bit and start encouraging people. Mm-hmm. Who opened when you saw them in Greensboro? Uh, Pylon. Friends from Athens. Mm-hmm. And they were known throughout their career for bringing along acts. Right. According to Mike Mills, we brought along bands that we wanted to see from the side stage. Yeah. They also brought along Indigo Girls on that tour. That's too bad you oh, didn't really? get to see them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate that I didn't know more about Pylon at the time because I, I bet I would have enjoyed them. Even at that point, there were a fair number of REM songs, you know, like I said earlier on, that they did that I remember me and my friends kind of like, oh, we don't know this one. Gotcha. Seems, right. seems good. You yeah. know, the crowd likes it. You know, I don't remember much about Pylon opening. Yeah. I just remember you know, at least three times during the show – Michael Stipe stepping up and and saying, this song goes out to you. And that's on tour film. I think they do that before the next song. Sometimes I feel like I can't even sing I'm very scared for this world I'm very scared for me This is your memory Here's a scene You're in the backseat Laying down the windows Wrap around to the sound Of the travel and the engine All you hear is time Stand still and travel You feel such peace and absolute Stillness still that doesn't end But slowly drifts into sleep The stars are the greatest thing you've ever seen And they're there for you For you alone, you are 
We haven't heard anything like this from R.E.M. up to this point. For people who would come backwards to green, this is what would sound familiar. Right. With Out of Time and especially with Automatic for the People. Mm -hmm. Peter Buck often shaped the musical direction of the band Mm -hmm. because they speak about him getting a mandolin. Getting tired of playing guitar. Yeah. yeah. And playing these acoustic songs. And and that led them to Out of Time. Mm -hmm. Then speaks of him wanting to rock. Mm-hmm. And I think Bill Berry, too, when they did Monster, they had had a couple of softer albums mm-hmm. and they knew they were going to go back on tour. So they wanted to rock. So they're going to approach it from a glam rock mm-hmm. perspective. But it does seem like he is the musical. The conductor. The conductor. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is a song that had to end up on so many mixtapes, even though I don't think it's a love song. Exactly. I remember thinking, oh, man, what a lovely love song this is. Yeah. It's really sweet. And then That's you get right. to the point where. Uh, and you're drifting off to sleep with your teeth in your mouth. Then I started thinking like, <laughs> so is this about like a elderly person? You know, like a grandparent or an elderly parent? You know what? It works either way. Whether the sentiment is it's wife, spouse, whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend. Yeah. Or it's just someone you love close to you. There's It kind of works as this, this song's for you. I, mean, I definitely put this on mixtapes as a love song. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think you're right. It's the way he sings also that brings emotions yeah. and helps you and I as 13, 14 year olds yeah. listening to this, he's somehow able to help us in what we're feeling, mm-hmm. even if we don't know. But even even hearing him be vulnerable and say, I'm very scared for this world, I'm very scared for me, yeah. as you're listening to that with headphones, I mean, that helps with emotions at a time when emotions are all over the place. Right. I think you're right, though. I, and I hadn't thought about that teeth line until actually we started preparing for this really? album. Yeah, I was just thought it was, oh, it's a weird Michael Stipe line. Yeah. But then when I looked at it, it seems that when they talk about, I'm in this kitchen, everything's beautiful, she is so beautiful, she is so young and old. Yeah. I wonder if it's about his grandma. In true sort of Southern storytelling tradition, yeah. I mean, Michael Stipe has a long history of stories and songs about his grandparents. Mm-hmm. Even like, I think, Sitting Still is about his sister and the work she did working with like, I think, deaf children. And family is a huge thread throughout pretty much all of their albums. I have kind of wondered through the years if this is about his grandmother. Meemaw. Meemaw. Meemaw's in the kitchen. (laughs) We go back to tour film a lot because it's so ingrained in both of us. But what I remember about this was, you know, he turns his back and he basically sings this to the band. Mm -hmm. It's like just the four or five of them with Peter Holsapple just together. And then at the end... As he sings the last part, he turns to the crowd and sings, you are the everything. Yeah. Such a simple thing. But I remember just thinking that was like the coolest thing mm-hmm. anyone could do. You know, it's like, oh man, he's not even facing the crowd. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my God. Is he shy? And I think early on he was shy. Yeah. First album, he wouldn't even let them watch him record the vocals. He's like in a stairwell or something. Right. And on tour film is when he kind of becomes a character. Thankfully, not like McFeesto. No. Oh, good <laughs> but- God. But he, he, he's embracing his role as a know, front, the front man. man for the now biggest American band. Yet. That's right. Because Rolling Stone had just put out America's greatest rock and roll band with them on the cover. Mm-hmm. The fact that Green is so weird mm-hmm. and so quote unquote REM yeah. is a testament to them not getting caught up in the trappings of fame. Yep. I mean, they could have just pushed things in a direction that would seem that they sold out. Yeah. But instead, we're going to do what we're going to do. Speaking of selling out.
Do you remember the dance to this video? Oh yeah. Me and my friends, we would do it. We would like film ourselves doing it because we because <laughs> we thought it was like so goofy. Yeah. But it was it was like so perfect for like REM to be like, hey, we we got this really cheesy pop song. Yep. And we're going to do a goofy like line dance to it. Stipe said that this song came from a discussion the band was having about the Archies and the monkeys mm-hmm. and pop bubblegum songs. I think the band challenged him to write a song like that. Mm-hmm. He said, I wrote the most inane lyrics <laughs> that I could possibly write. <laughs> and Peter Buck later said that this is definitely the stupidest song they've ever written. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. He talked about it like Louie Louie. Yeah, so yeah. a song with just lyrics that mean nothing. It's just a song to dance to. That you dance fun. and have fun to. I mean, I joked earlier about this being like, speaking of selling out, you know, it's like kind of a goofy, cheesy pop song. But even in true R.E.M. fashion, when they finally like allow this song to be used in something, it's on Get a Life. Yeah. Which is like quintessential R.E.M. to be like, so we can sell the song to be used as a theme song. Sure, we'll, we'll sell it to Chris Elliott for his TV show. Yeah. You know. Which that show is ahead of its time. Yeah. And really looks forward to things like Mr. Show mm-hmm. and even, even things like Arrested Development yep. and the, the silliness of those shows. Mm-hmm. But gosh, I remember loving that show. It did yeah. not last it yeah. was like two seasons. No, yeah, it did not last long. I'm looking at it. They say that the storylines were surreal. So, for example, Chris Elliott's character actually dies in 12 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so Stand is a song that, as a serious R.E.M. fan, I had disdain for the song yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. Because I want people to grasp yeah. how incredible this band is. And they're the, like, the levity oh. of R.E.M. Yes. Yeah. And instead they're like, oh yeah, stand in the place where you live. Yeah. So it becomes frustrating. Yeah. Similarly to shiny, shiny happy, happy people. people. Yeah. yeah. The difference is I found myself a few years ago, just couldn't get enough of green and diving back into green. Mm-hmm. And I found that removed from that time, this is a great pop song. It's mm-hmm. so fun. Shiny, happy people. No, <laughs> but this one to me is like, it's still a good song. If you remove yourself from it being overplayed or, People just Just minimizing, yeah, R.E.M. to just this song. I mean, I feel like even with Stand, it was almost silly and a throwaway as soon as it came out as a single. Like, people were already dismissing it. Yeah. And so when they actually opened their concert with it, I remember loving it, but I also remember thinking, ah, that's an interesting choice. Because I I felt like uh, they're they're probably kind of like, okay, people kind of don't like Stand already. But they were like, no, we're we're opening the show with it. Hey, we don't care. We're R.E.M. Yeah. We already got your money. Forget you. I'm going to turn my back on you. That's right, fools. (laughs) Uh, This was their second single. Went to number one on the alternative chart or whatever it was called at the time. Modern rock, whatever. Modern rock. What was the first single? Pop song 89? Or was it Orange Crush? No, hold on. Let's see. No, Orange Crush was the first single. Which is an interesting choice. Yeah, let's see what was on the charts at this time. That should be good. Oh, man. What we got? When Stan is released in January of 1989, mm-hmm. you're finding R.E.M. going toe-to-toe with none other than Bobby Brown. Oh, snap. My prerogative. Well, they didn't stand a chance. No, man, you can't take they that. They didn't Bobby stand Brown. a chance. Bobby B. <laughs> I remember riding my bike. Gosh, this is so nerdy. Riding my bike up to the shopping center, and there was a music store up there, as in a violin store. Oh, you know, okay, that sort yeah, of yeah. Thing. And they sold. You got sh- the new Bobby Brown? Yeah. 
that's not what we do. And I bought the sheet music to Bobby Brown's album. The whole album. Yeah, and I learned how to play my prerogative on the piano, which does not translate well. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> it does. It is so nerdy. Please tell me there's some audio recording. Nah. Oh, man. Sorry. Do you still have the sheet music? I'm oh. sure it's in my parents' house. My mom probably breaks it out every now and then. Oh, I'm sure. Plays a little Bobby B for my dad. <laughs> hey, you want to hear Humping Around again? Also, in the top 20 is When the Children Cry Ooh, by White, White Lion. Lion. What was that song about? I remember it being all emotional. I think, I think it was about like missing children. Oh, dear. Let's see here. When the children cry. Oh, my gosh. This is so cheesy. He's like, because you were born into this evil world where man is killing man and no one knows just why. No more presidents and all the wars will end. One united world under God. Oh, White Line was a Christian oh, I band. I had no idea. Yeah. I think they opened for Petra once. Because <laughs> they had gotten big off their cover of Radar Love. Oh, really? That's yeah, what that was, that was their first big foray, I believe. There was another band. Oh, White Snake. White Snake. White Snake, White Lion. White zombie. All those animals. <laughs> also in the top 20, none other than Kenny G. Oh. Kenny Gross. What song? Does it matter? Yes, it matters. It's a song called Silhouette. Do you know? Oh, it? Silhouette. I mean, us G-heads. I mean, <laughs> Silhouette is the best. <laughs> G-heads. I think that's the... Let's see. You'll recognize. I mean, it was everywhere. If it's the song I'm thinking about. That's the only one I know is what you just tried to. (laughs) (laughs) The one I just nailed? Yeah. Here we go. This might be a different one. His smile is so gentle. I think the G stands for gentle. (laughs) Kenny Gentle. Oh, this oh, is not the one gosh. I thought. But I do remember this. Was this an episode of Moonlighting? <laughs> <laughs> Let's fast forward a little bit. Oh. Well, he's still playing it. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, does he have a sax solo in there? And then I realized... <laughs> it is a sax solo. His life is a sax solo. <laughs> All I can picture is Fred Armisen on What's Up With That. <laughs> <laughs> what's Up With That is one of those skits... They didn't realize how memorable it would be. No. I'm sure they thought this dumb thing this, isn't going to last and throw away. And we're having fun. Yeah. But we all remember the best. every part of it. I've said it many times before. My, in, in what life I have left, my single purpose is to learn Jason Sudeikis' dance. Oh, that yeah. He does. That he does. He because, kills Because I can't dance. I feel like that would be. If you could break that out you on the dance floor. You could do it anywhere. Yeah. Like, you know, any wedding or you do that and people are like gather around you clapping. Yeah, if you yeah. just do that. Have you watched Ted Lasso yet? I've not watched Ted Lasso. When it shows Sudeikis mm-hmm. celebrating the national championship that mm-hmm. he won with his American Division Three football team. He's doing that dance in a circle. Oh, really? Yeah, he's yes. they're just all the players are cheering. <laughs> nice. I remember feeling that way back then about if you could grab your leg and jump over. Oh yeah, that, that dance was, was sick. I mean, I don't know how many times you fell. Coxuses <laughs> I broke trying to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that reminds me of a story actually. So my best friend Doug and I were at a job's daughters dance do you know what that is no, job's daughters let me see that. if i can figure it out like j-o-b j-o-b it has something to do with the freemasons doesn't everything it's this organization where 
it's like a leadership thing okay. that you go through. You learn which fork to use. All I know is that Doug and I were at this Job's daughter's Did y'all dance. crash it or did you get invited? It was like a ceremony where my cousin was like graduating this thing okay. or something, right? And we find ourselves there and we are the only dudes. And there are, I don't know, 50, 70 Good girls, you know? Because we just went because I had to go because my cousin. So I brought Doug. And so we're sitting there and, and they're like, come out and dance. Come out and dance. We're like, no, we're good. <laughs> we're good, you know? <laughs> and then uh, we were like, you know, we don't like this music. If, if they played R.E.M., we'd come out and dance. So then the girls convinced the DJ, I don't know if it was a real DJ, their dad, to play stand. Because then we're like, oh, man. Oh, crap. They got us. Yeah. What are we going to do now? They painted us into a corner. I'm sure we went out there and like jumped over our leg and then walked off the dance floor. (laughs) Like, I'm done. I did it. Moonwalked. (laughs) Careful what you ask for. Yeah. Because Job's daughters will give it to you. (laughs) Another time, Doug and I, my sister was in the Miss Teen USA. Oh, wow. Now, there are a lot of pageants, right? Sure. So this isn't the one that's on TV. Well, so still, it's pro- I think it's probably like... Don't, Miss- don't downgrade your no, sister's no, she, accomplishment she, like she that. But we went to Atlanta, Georgia for the national Miss U.S. Yeah. teen pageant. You know, okay. they, they just switch around like Miss Teen USA, Miss USA teen. <laughs> you know, I think that's what it was. We <laughs> And so we're in this hotel. I'm 13. Doug is 14. All the girls are like 17, 18, mm-hmm. right? You're in the elevator. Your head's on a swivel. Oh my gosh. We're like, oh man, we're going to kiss some girl who's a national renowned yeah of course they don't want anything to do with us but we were all over that hotel i remember we found ourselves in somebody's room Mm -hmm. two little young dorks and then all these girls were just kind of hanging out and we're over there like (laughs) they got any soda (laughs) doug and i were not smooth but we found ourselves in these situations where yeah there was just girls everywhere we didn't know what to do (laughs) that's awesome speaking of rem this is where the album kind of Changes direction a little bit from the fun. a lot of pop and fun yeah. in those early songs and gets a little more a little more serious. Michael puts on his big boy pants. The world leader pretend. I divine my 
recognize the weapons I practiced them well I fitted them myself in the album correct right and the first first lyrics they had ever released yeah and i just remember being again with the clever wordplay like where it goes you can sympathize and it's like empathize yeah and i thought wow that's so cool yeah you You can't peg down what any michael stipe song is about but this song does work on a political level Mm mm-hmm and it also seems to work. I've heard people talk about this being about the trappings of fame. Mm-hmm. For anyone, it's it's about how we justify our bad decisions mm-hmm. and we put walls up and we basically living inside our heads, mm-hmm. right? But I do think that they put this one in the album because of for political motives. Right. This is where they started to take more of an active activist stance. Yeah. Instead of just kind of having songs that you would read into, they're mm-hmm. encouraging people to vote. And I know they were heavy in that. Mm-hmm. Without a time. Yeah, the album came out on election day. And then this is a song that you see get played now, you know, for various reasons. You know, people hear a song and they, they see a song called World Leader Pretend. And, you know, with things going on in American politics, people latch on to a title like this and a, a song like this and convey meaning from it. And REM has been pretty steadfast and you know, they don't want certain political parties or a certain political party using their songs. Right. Because um, like every every political party in the world wants to use, if you're the party that's trying to unseat somebody, It's In the World As We Know It and I Feel Fine is a great song to kind of use at a rally. You yeah. Because it's conveying a certain emotion. I know they hate that when that happens. But if the Democratic Party was like, we want to use world leader pretend right now, They'd probably be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, yeah. And apparently Trump had put out a meme mocking Democrats mm-hmm. and it had everybody hurts in there. Yeah. <laughs> and from the REM Twitter account, the official one, mm-hmm. it said, world leader pretend Congress media ghost this faker. Love REM. <laughs> and Mike Mills, you and I on have talked about Mike Mills on Twitter is very oh, yeah. active in speaking out against Donald Trump. Yeah, unabashedly anti-Donald Trump. World leader pretend you thought you were nerdy earlier. Mm -hmm. I think I tie-dyed a t-shirt and then I took like puff paint and wrote the lyrics 
to world leader pretend on his shirt. Wow. And I thought that was good. Do you have a picture of that? I don't. Uh, I'm wearing the shirt right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In my mind, it was going to be super cool and so smart. People would be like, oh, what's, what's that all about? Did you get all the lyrics or did you like have to start writing smaller at the end <laughs> yeah, or at the bottom? I'm writing sideways. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't remember, I don't remember if it was just like all the lyrics or like. And then I remember, on the front? Just on the front. So you walked into school. I, I never wore it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because as soon as I finished it up and, and stood up and it was admiring my work, I thought, that looks terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's lame. And I, I think it dried. You know, the puff paint dried. The lyrics dried. I think I folded it up, put it in the drawer. Yeah. Never wore it. Um, well, Because it seemed very DIY. It seemed yeah. very like, yeah, this is something an REM fan would do. Change begins with the individual. Right, you know. And you were changing your I shirt. I was changing my shirt. Yeah. And, and yeah, it did not turn out well. Well, you get an A for hole. <laughs> people get upset when a band starts making statements or political statements and i don't understand why i don't either like they're artists they're engaging with culture and society and they are poets i feel like i'm fairly middle of the road but i probably tend to lean more conservative than the other side Mm -hmm. most things but fact of the matter is music is just better when republicans are in office it's true and and creative types are angry and yeah and voice it in really good music yeah just seems to be the case. No, it's true because artists will lean left mm-hmm. and they will speak out against it. I would be more upset if people didn't express their views and opinions in music. Yeah. Otherwise, we have just thousands of versions of stand. <laughs> right. Inane lyrics yeah. that don't mean anything. Right. We've talked about obsessing over tour film. Mm-hmm. I remember with this song that he had a folding chair next to him. And a drumstick. Yeah, and he was beating on the folding chair. Yeah, which was so odd. What did he start off singing with this one? Oh, we live as we dream alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so obsessed with tour film that I recorded a cassette off the VHS. So uh, I could too. listen to it, the me whole too. thing in my car. Yep. That's how you know a true REM fan from those days is, can you sing the tour film version of any of these songs? Right. Vanilla Ice comes out. <laughs> Right, stop. Collaborate and listen. I expect with the brand new invention. There he is. Um, Drumstick on a chair. What is he doing? So dramatic. Just hold the arm up. Yep. The whole song. Which has to be tiring. There's just things throughout this time with them where you're, again, you're just, as a fan who's like ravishing everything about them, you're looking into every little detail of what it means. And we didn't even talk about, you know, the album cover Mm -hmm. and how if you held it a certain way, almost like a hidden four Mm -hmm. on every R. And then on the track listing stand, it was actually R instead of four. It's like, what does that mean? Because it's not... The fourth album. No. Just because there's four of them. And I think I heard it was, you know, the four and the R are close to each other. Yeah. But then they just leave that stuff in. Right. And we as nerds, <laughs> pre-internet. Stay up like hours. Yeah. Trying to figure out. Pontificating on yeah. it. And then it's because Michael Stipe's finger slipped and he's, <laughs> he's an eccentric artist. So he's like, we're going to leave that in. We're going to leave it in. Yeah. Matt, there's no way we're going to be able to do this epipod. We've, we've already been in here for like four hours. <laughs> yeah. I think we need to make this a two-parter. I'm all for that. 
that will allow us to keep talking about REM. Yeah. I cherish any moment that I can keep talking about REM. Seriously. That works for me. All right. We're going to pick this back up for a part two. The deuce. Stay tuned for the deuce. Look out. It's coming at you. As always, we love the engagement that our Finest Work fans have with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Finest Work Songs and on Facebook as well. Be sure to send us an email, finestworksongs at gmail.com. Let us know what we got right, what we got wrong, and what albums you'd like for us to talk about on a future Epipod. Part two will be coming at you. But until then, remember that it's 2020. It's an election year, so when you vote, vote Finest, Finest Work Songs. Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. <laughs>